Welcome to A Journey Through Fantasy. My name is Patrick, and in this episode we'll be covering Grave Peril, Book 3 of The Dresden Files by Jim Butcher. A little bit of backstory before we get into the, the chapters. I've read the first two, naturally, though it's been two years since the first book and one year since the second book. So some things I may not remember right offhand, and some things I may confuse with, you know, maybe this is a new character, or maybe this is someone we have met, I just don't remember. That's going to be prevalent, probably, at least in this book, but it shouldn't be moving forward, I don't think. All right, so chapter one, uh, we're sort of thrown into the action. Harry and Michael, which I don't remember from any other books, I think that he is a new character for this book. He is a knight, whereas Harry is a wizard. They're in the Blue Beetle, screaming through the streets of Chicago, heading to Cook County Hospital. They um, got word from Bob that there could be some paranormal activity happening tonight at the hospital. So that's where they're going. Naturally, they you know, cross paths with the cops, or the cops chasing them. So now they get the cops on their tail. They get there, and of course, naturally, uh, Harry is in his wizardy outfit. His, he's got his duster on, his blasting rod, his staff, a bag of ghost dust. Then Michael is in his like workman's clothes, but then he has a white cloak and this big sword um, sheathed. And, and so then the episode, or not the episode, the chapter ends kind of on a cliffhanger where they ask where the nursery is. So that's kind of the rundown of chapter one. The interesting thing about that, one, I'm kind of interested in Michael because I don't remember there being any other protagonists in these stories that were of a magical like uh, origin. Other than Harry being a wizard. When you think about fantasy, right? Like Lord of the Rings. You got wizards, elves, dwarves, humans, hobbits, whatever. I don't remember there being anything other than wizards that are on the, the good side for the most part. I know we've, inter- we've encountered fairies, vampires, the werewolf type, type creatures, demons. But this is a knight. And it's like a knight driven by faith. So I'm like, I'm kind of, you know, in my head, I'm thinking like, you know, the Templar knight. And I really find that interesting because he crosses himself and Harry feels the energy of his faith. Which that, that, you know, lends itself to the way this series is, how Jim Butcher kind of, it doesn't matter what the words you say when you're speaking your magic. It matters your intent and your passion, things like that. And so it 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 works really well with that. But I wasn't expecting it, so I'm I'm really interested to see where Michael goes. I have a sneaky suspicion this probably won't happen. I'm really I'm either dead on with with predictions, or I'm dead wrong. <laughs> I'm wondering if Michael will get to, will get turned at some point, but I don't know. That that could just be me thinking up the box. Now, chapter two, they they're on their way up to the 
to the nursery, the floor where the nurseries have to take in the stairs. You know, they can't take the elevator because that thing will die on Harry. They'll get trapped in there, and then whatever happens will happen. They get up there. They sort of, the, the vision that I had in my head was the hospital in Halloween 2 from 1981. Kind of destitute, very understaffed, really dimly lit. Because it seems like the nurses, they're passed out. Because there's this lullaby being sung, the hushed little baby. And even Harry is feeling the compulsion to have to sit down and rest. He has to fight it. They decide for Michael not to come, not to follow because I believe the ghost would be able to sense the steel of the sword. So Harry goes in by himself to use the ghost dust. Which at this point we don't know what that is. We don't know what it's going to do. He gets there, looks into the nursery room where all the babies are in their cribs. And the ghost is in there, again, singing the lullaby, Hush Little Baby. Now, I, I'm i already feeling the tension on of this chapter, this story, right? One, I have a four-month-old. And, uh, you know, I, I heard this recently on Mike's book review. It's a great YouTube channel. If you don't if you don't know about it or, or, or don't watch it, I, I suggest checking it out. He's a, he's a great YouTuber. But he was talking about, like, how books can be different, can have different meanings to you, depending on when you read them. Uh, in his, in this example, he was talking about Pet Cemetery. How reading it as a kid, you kind of, you're, you're reading it for the scare factor. What things are like terrifying, like you know, ghouls and goblins, stuff like that. But as an adult, especially with Pet Cemetery, there's more fears lying underneath there, fears that. You don't think about it as, as as a younger person, and so this this kind of chapter with this ghost hanging around these babies, lulling. It's it is um, hinted at that if they go deeper into the sleep of the lullaby, they'll they'll die. So that's already got me on edge, and then I don't like hush little baby. I don't like that lullaby. Um, I don't know why. When I was younger, I already had like an internal fear of my parents dying for some reason. Well, my parents are older, uh, older than most people's parents would be my age. Um, and so my mother would sing it. I just remember being sad about it. And that sort of carried with me. Even now I'm 30 years old and that, that carried with me. So, so there's a lot of things happening here that, that, that are playing into the favor with Jim Butcher. Like, like it's helping him tell the story for me. <laughs> it's, it's embodying those horror elements because I don't know if this is supposed to be this. I don't know if I just came up with this or if it actually is supposed to be this, but the Jim Butcher series to me or the, the Dresden files, it's urban fantasy, but it definitely feels horror. Like there is a focus on horror. When I was reading the first, the first one, I was also watching supernatural at the time and they just felt so they, they just complimented each other in such a way. And you know, supernatural is fantastical, but I think it tries to lend, lend itself into horror a little bit as much as horror as you can get with, C, with the CW. But, but yeah, he's got me pulled in and, you know, you have the situation where Harry gets the jump on the ghost, the ghost, Agatha Hagglethorn, Bob had given her, had, had given Harry all the, her backstory. You know, she, I think she, she was about to be beaten by her husband. And so she, she covered up the baby, but then the baby suffocated or something like that. Again, all this stuff, I'm like. I'm like, man, I, this is, I don't like this. 
I like I like the story, you know, but I'm just like, man, you're you're hitting a little too like I don't like to think about those kind of things, but but whatever. Um, but Harry gets to jump on her, and he kind of starts to feel bad for her. But then, but then she sticks like her her like severed wrist in into the baby's mouth, and then and then baby start you know starts to not breathe. So there's kind of kind of like a ticking clock situation, which I think Jimitri used effectively here. It's like I gotta try to calm this ghost down or kill it before this baby dies and the other babies before they before they get lulled to sleep and and death. So the um, end up they end up trying to have a battle. She, you know, he tries to get the ghost dust on her. Michael ends up coming in. They kind of get her. They don't get her, but she leaves, presumably to the never never. And they think they at least have that small victory, right? The, the the babies are safe. The hospital, the nurses, they're safe. They still need to figure out what's causing all this paranormal activity that's happening. But at least this situation is safe. But then all of a sudden they hear a little faint of the hushy little baby. And the babies start like, stop breathing again. So they realize they got to go to the never never. Now they don't, now Harry doesn't want to. Because of his godmother's there, and and again, I, I don't remember. It may have been referenced, but I don't remember his godmother. So this may be another Michael situation where I don't, or either it's a new character introduced now, or it's a character I just don't remember. Um. But so then they decide to go to the Never Never. Chapter three. All right, so we left off with you know them going into the Never Never. So now we have a little bit of a flashback. And so it's kind of interesting because I don't really remember the first two books doing this. So chapter three feels like where it would have began maybe, but I do like this change of, um, I don't know, change of setting, change of, of, of uh, it's, it's still a linear storytelling, I guess, but it, we kind of went back. It's a change of pace, and you know, I, I enjoyed it. So, it, it, like I said, it's a flashback to earlier that morning. Um, he gets a call from Susan, and um, which I believe Susan Rodriguez. Don't don't hold me to that. Because um, I, I believe Michael refers to her as Miss Rodriguez. I think she even says it here. Um, but she calls, and you know, kind of in a more business like manner uh trying to get the lowdown on what happened the previous night also kind of jab at him saying her boyfriend you know ditched her last night so you sort of, you sort of have that kind of kind of um relationship going on and and from what i remember of the second book i mean that that's exactly how it was i mean there's some consistency here amongst them but you can kind of tell that time has passed and they're still, you know, they're, they're kind of more of an item than they were because I don't remember them being much of an item, the first book, but it slowly got that way in the second book. Again, I apologize if you're yelling at me right now, because I, I should, you know, I should have read these closer together. <laughs> now there is one note here, you know, Jim Butcher, of course, wrote these earlier, you know, you know, several 
decades ago. I think 2000 was when this one came out, maybe. And um, so 20, you know, 20 years ago, or give or take. And of course, naturally, writers get better as they get as they get more experience. But I kind of, and, and most of his humor I like. It, you know, it lands. But this one just, I don't, I don't like it. Um, this is the quote, this is Harry. Beside which, just the thought of Susan's caramel skin and soft dark hair under my hands. Yum. Now look, I don't have any problem with 90% of that sentence. I just don't like how it ended with yum. I don't know why yum just doesn't land with me. Um, yum to me is something that needs to be done in a a more humor th- okay let me let me put it this way harry is a wisecracker like like he he is he kind of makes me think of I, i've never really thought about it till just this moment he kind of is in the same mind as like ryan reynolds i'm not necessarily saying ryan reynolds, ryan reynolds should play him if they ever decided to do more live action stuff with harry dresden because, I, I mean, I love Paul Blackthorne. And so, even though I haven't watched the sci-fi series, I do like Paul Black, Blackthorne, and I'm sure he did fine. Um, but the way that he's depicted in these books, at least the beginnings of the books, you know, he, it, it kind of seems like he gets a little bit more serious as the book goes on and the stakes get higher. But when these books start out, he feels kind of Ryan Reynolds-y. Like, he's, he's there to do something, but he's always looking to crack a joke. And... Using word phrases and words like yum, to me, on, really, they land better when it's like a straight man saying it. Like, you know, like a, like a, not a, not a wisecracker, but like, you know, a straight, a straight edge kind of guy. Perfect example would be if you've ever watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the police captain, Raymond Holt. He, he is like the perfect straight man which is kind of oxymoronic because he he plays a gay character but like he's you know early on in the show like i mean throughout the show he still most time plays a straight laced kind of person all serious all business and then you know anytime something he would do something funny it's it kind of took you by surprise and naturally that that got more and more as the seasons went on but like that kind of character saying yum lands well because it's something unusual and weird for them to say so it's like the context around it makes it funny harry saying it just feels gross (laughs) and and i'm not the kind of person to call that kind of stuff out like i like i don't really care as you'll see when we get to chapter four but i don't know i just didn't that just didn't sit well with me but um but yeah so they they kind of talk and there's the um promise that he'll you know they'll be hanging out together tonight uh, which we already know is not probably not gonna happen because they're about to go into the never never and i don't see how he's gonna have time to go to the never never deal with what he's gonna have to deal with and then come back to go on a date or just hang out with susan it ain't happening he's gonna he's gonna be bailing out but just as he closes up this black-haired practitioner uh needs his help and so she she um, as he locks the door, she kind of shows up and says she needs his help. And um, so then we go over to chapter four. 
Now, this person who chooses to go by Lydia, because since she's a practice, a practitioner of magic, she kind of knows the weight of a wizard knowing her name. So she kind of, you know, was like, I'm, you know, I'm gonna go by Lydia. And she is a sufferer of Cassandra's tears. Now, I haven't, I've been meaning to look this up kind of on the side, but trying to see, you know, what's, what's the real backstory on this, or if this is just something Jim Butcher made up. But basically it's like, you know, you, you have visions and the visions are so otherworldly, Armageddon-ish, so outlandish that people don't believe you. And so you're, you know, you're kind of considered crazy, but it's a perfect opportunity for a scam. And that's what he's kind of thinking. And she even calls it out, you know, this could be a scam. But now she says there are three spirits after her and she's needing a talisman. Um, now, before this is kind of what I was saying, like, I kind of like some humor, you know, some of this kind of stuff. You know, in the last chapter, I was like, I, I didn't really like the usage of the word yum. But in this chapter, <laughs> he says that he's going to need some stuff from her. And what he's meaning is information. But immediately she thinks he's ta- uh, he's talking about sexual favors. So she perks up. And the phrase used was nipple erection. Now that's hilarious to me. <laughs> well, it's hilarious. Just, just the phrase nipple erection is hilarious. But two, the fact that Jim Butcher would use that in a in a book. So like, there's there's humor within the con- content, and then there's humor outside the context of the of it being a book and some and it's a published book that has nipple erection. I don't know. It's it got a good giggle out of me. Um, like I said, that's kind of where I expect that kind of comment from Harry Dresden. I don't expect talking about his girlfriend then saying yum. I don't expect that. I just felt like I said, unless it's coming from like a straight laced person, like maybe Michael, I could see Michael saying that. And then like, it still feels weird, but it's kind of like, huh? I could see that happening. Let, I don't know. Y'all may disagree whatever I'm going to move on. Um, but you know, he, he's kind of toys with it. And, you know, as we've already seen with the ghost, he, you know, he's kind of, Harry's a softy underneath. So he ends up giving her his talisman. So now he doesn't have, you know, the, the one thing that protects him from ghosts. Um, I guess it's a better judgment. Then, you know, she leaves and Bob radios in on like this old timey radio. I guess that's the way to communicate. I don't remember that. I think that's a new thing because the only time I remember Bob interacting in previous um, books was in like the basement of the uh, apartment. So that, that was a cool thing. I like that he radioed in he, and he basically gave the rundown on Agatha Hagglethorne and you know, he, he, then he runs out of the building and runs into Michael. You know, we have this nice little banter and then we meet back up to where we started the, the book off with. Chapter five. All right. So now, since we had that flashback little section, now we're in the never, never, um, pretty typical. I mean, it's just, you know, the, the world looks like Chicago, but from the perspective of the ghosts, so, cause it's the ghost domain. Um, so, you know, it's like, you know, 1800s, I think, or 1700s, uh, can't remember, but everything is like kind of made of wood. Um, the buildings and everything, and the 
there's like a transition he notices between like gas lamps and then like maybe incandescent lamps maybe I, there's 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 a transitioning period it's just the memories of the ghost and as expected you know they kind of trying to figure out where they should start and then the the ghost springs on them springs the trap on them kind of and they you know they have a little battle here uh during the battle they hear the hellhounds barking and uh just craziness and you know harry's kind of realizing his godmother has you know knew he's knew he was there and they hadn't even been in there like five minutes so they end up you know you know a little bit of battle here and there you you know dresden and and michael do do the best they can against the ghost they finally able to hit the ghost with some uh ghost dust and what they notice after after they defeat it is there is a a single string of barbed wire running through the entire length of of the ghost body and then at two ends they kind of just disappear into into her uh, her body so that's kind of making making them think that someone did that and that created this chance encounter with the ghost deciding to go attack the the nursery right so it's it's a someone not a something they you now the 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 um little s- uh, split or the sort of the sever between the two worlds is starting to close so they they got to get out of there they, they make a run for it and all, as also the the city's burning at this point and but just before they get to the to the like the sliver or the little the area between the split between the two realities uh harry's godmother and her hellhounds show up so and and you know, again, these chapters are kind of, you know, they're kind of they keep they keep ending on these little cliffhangers. It's like, oh, I gotta keep reading, you know. Very, very, um, I don't, uh, you know, very. You can really sink your teeth into one of these books and and have most of it read in a day, you know. So, uh, but yeah, chapter six, um, you know, it's just a lot of you know back and forth between Harry uh, and the godmother and. Uh, sounds like there was some bargain that had been made in the past, either through, or I think it's both, through Harry's mother and him to her. And of course, Michael being the, the white knight is kind of like, you know, if you've made a bargain with her on your own will, I can't protect you. Like, you know, that's that's between you and her. So Harry tricks her and kind of like acts like he's being compelled to, to follow her. And, uh, but as soon as he gets up there, he kind of just hits her with, with ghost dust, not because the ghost dust itself would hurt her, but I think he mixed a bunch of iron in it and that would actually have an effect on her. Uh, they, ma- they managed to escape, um, but Michael gets, uh, bitten by a hellhound. Uh, so that, yeah, they, they jump out of the, out of the, the split between the two realities um, once they get back in there and they sort of settle down, Michael's a little bit upset that Harry lied to win. You know, he's, he's again, that white knight. He's that we're the good guys. We don't win by lying. We don't win by stealing or cheating. Or we're, that's why we're heroes or whatever. 
Um, so again, with Michael being a new character, as, as far as I can tell, it is interesting seeing their dynamic because we're two books in to this and we kind of know how Harry is. He's, he's, I wouldn't say he's morally gray, but he, he is willing to do whatever it takes to win, to, to, to save who he's got to save where he, he, he doesn't um, play by any set of rules other than his own sense of moral code, which is his own moral code is a lot more loose than Michael. Michael has a very traditional idea. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like that idea of, you know, how wars used to be, you know, you, you have, you know, two groups of armies running against each other. And then of course it eventually became, you know, bombing and, and you know, trench warfare. And then it ended up becoming, you know, uh, uh, we had we had um, you know airplay and and stuff like that. So it, it it's kind of like Michael's still living by that. We're gonna line up across each other and we're gonna fight. And then you know when winter comes, we're all gonna stop because and, you know and even at Christmas we're all gonna have we're gonna break bread together. Where Harry's like, uh, no, uh, if we take a break during the winter, we're gonna sneak somebody in there. We're gonna bomb the place. Like. He is going to do what it takes to save who he needs to save. But Michael is just old school. I, I like it. I like the dynamic. Again, I'm interested to see where this is going to go. I'm wondering if there's some kind of setup here. Um, chapter six, or, or sorry, to, to end on chapter six, uh, the cops show up. And, and uh, I'm guessing, um, I don't think it's been said explicitly, but I believe because Michael is a knight, he has some kind of charm about him that he can wiggle his way out of certain things. I don't know if that's just implied or if that's just his overinflation of his ego because he says, let me do the talking. And that's where we end for chapter six. So the <laughs> talking uh, really doesn't lead to much because we open up chapter seven and Michael and Harry are behind bars. Um, they kind of, you know, kind of talk a little bit, talk about their situation. Um, Harry, I think, just wants to go home and go to bed. Uh, Michael, or um, their their bail is made, um, and you come out there, and we get to meet Michael's wife, Charity, who is uh, eight months pregnant, and she is uh, not happy, to say the least. It seems like it's, it's a very... Um, I don't want to say cliched is in a negative sense, but it is a very tried and true angle of, you know, like a buddy cop duo. One, you know, one, you know, one is a little bit more straight laced than the other. And that one's wife always has a negative view of the other one, thinks that the other one always gets them into trouble. That's very much what's happening here. She thinks that any time that Michael, you know, gets involved with Harry, bad things happen. And, you know, I don't see that she's wrong. Um, it's just I don't know if she has all the details. And that's kind of the case in all those scenarios. They're not necessarily wrong, but they don't have all the details, and that would change your judgment. Uh, Susan also arrives, uh, you know, to, to, to get Harry. Um, and in their conversation... Um, we find out a little bit more about Michael's background. You know, he's just a righteous man um, who is also very humble. Um, and his power comes from his belief 
uh, his faith in God, and that he he has a sword that he believes is one of the three weapons that God made for mankind. Um, they have it's like I think there's three of them, and they have a nail in in built into the hilt, um, a nail from the crucifixion. Um, so yeah, that's kind of just a little bit more about him, and you know, and you kind of get. And, and again, this is natural. This is good character building, I guess. You know, up to this point, we've only seen Harry's, like, internal, like, eye-rolling to Michael's righteousness, as well as just how he interacts with Michael one-on-one. This is the first time that you actually get his kind of opinion, because he tells... Susan, that he is a good man, probably one of the best men he's ever met. So, like, you know, you could sense that, you know, because I don't think Harry would hang out with someone like Michael if Michael wasn't true and honest. But, uh, you know, you, you, you actually get that, you know, clarified. Um, they kind of have a talk there um, in the, sort of in the police station, and, uh, Harry comes really close to saying I love you, which is a callback to the first chapter, which I failed to mention. Uh, Michaels kind of brings up that he needs to go ahead and tell her that he loves her. And he mentions someone named Elaine, and I don't remember... I don't remember anything about Elaine. Um, So, you know, there's probably some hints there. Shoot. It'd be funny to go back and read the first book, and it's like the main woman. I, I don't, I don't think we've met Elaine. We've only maybe only had like stories about her or something. Regardless, he gets really close to saying "I love you," but then they start like a full makeout session. Um, they get home, and uh, they're getting out of the car, going up to the apartment, and he notices that Mister the cat. Uh, isn't running up to him. And he normally would because he lets the cat out when he leaves and then the cat comes in with him when he gets home. So, um, but he finds that, you know, you know, unusual. And then all of a sudden, two vampires show up. One one kind of was coming up from the, the front of the apartment, the other coming from the side of the, the boarding house. Um, and that's kind of where chapter seven ends. That's where chapter seven ends. Chapter eight begins. You know, we kind of we find out there's a, there's a tense moment naturally because uh, there's two vampires getting close to you and in your uh, your significant other. So it's it's a very tense scene. The the vampires say their name is Kyle and Kelly, and they're um, they're there on behalf of the vampire court. Because they're, they're associates of Bianco. Um, and I remember a little bit about Bianco from the first book. And um, I think it was the first book. Yeah, should be. Um, and uh, they're, they're just there to invite Harry to this um, sort of celebration um, of Bianca's ascension into the vampire court. And he, he's being invited because he's a member. He's a local member of the White Cat white council um you know he they end up he ends up they overstay their welcome pretty much because kelly is kind of like you know she's itching to to kind of 
feast, and um, she's technically not the person who was sent. So Dresden just doesn't trust her. Um, as soon as he gets the letter, though, he, he kind of shoes them off in a way. They get in, um, Harry and Susan get inside the apartment, and um, of course, Susan being like the reporter type person she is, she wants to go with him. And one thing, he doesn't want to go at all. And second, he don't want to take her because he knows how dangerous it would be for two humans. Even though there is a, you know, kind of assurances that there would be safety, they, you may die in other ways. <laughs> Not just getting killed by the vampire. Then, you know, there might be a drive-by set up at the same time. Kill you and then they'll, they'll feast on you. Um, so, so she, you know, she wants to go. Um, but he's kind of he's kind of hesitant about it they end up they end up just having sex and uh, that's how chapter eight is chapter nine uh, opens up in Dresden's dreaming and it's a dream with his godmother and it's almost like he's being he's being tortured he's being drained of his blood um, and it's being collected and she's you know doing very sensual things and uh, I believe he has a friend that's been sacrificed over in uh, in some area of wherever they're at, uh, he wakes up. Michael's banging on the door, um, and it, you know this is a moment that I really like. I like moments like this where something is set up as being different from what's the main thing happening, but then it it wraps back up. And I know you know that's just natural good storytelling, but I know I love it. So he knocks on the door and he 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 delivers a line. He's like. Did you send someone to see Father Forthill? And boom, you remember that um, Dresden had told that Lydia, the, that practitioner suffering from Cassandra's tears, to go, you know, she felt like she was in trouble to go to see Father Forthill at St. Mary the Angels Church to tell him that a friend of Michael sent them. So, like, it connects back to that. Um, let's see here. So, you know, he kind of leaves Susan there sleeping. They jump in there. They, they head off to, uh, they, they, they jump into Michael's truck and head off to the church. When they get there, they notice that um, uh, the cars and shrubbery has been destroyed. Um, they get inside, and uh, the father retells the events. Lydia came, and she kind of looked like she was uh, uh, a narcotics user or drug user kind of going through withdrawals that was that was the read father fort hill was was getting on her um and uh, she had some kind of episode uh like a seizure like episode and then shortly after that this creature started banging and beating around the church trying to get in trying to get her to start calling her name uh after hours of that uh father fort hill Goes to check to make sure all the doors and windows are unlocked. When he comes back, Lydia's gone, and one of the room or one of the doors uh, is unlocked. So, um, Dresden kind of realizing that she was probably telling the truth about the Cassandra's tears, and he's like, "We gotta go. You know, we gotta find her." So they decide to go speak to a psychic and then get Bob involved, which Michael's. Not all too thrilled about either one of those. And that's where we end with chapter 9.
Now we're going off into chapter 10. Uh, chapter 10 starts off, we get a little bit of a description of uh, the psychic that they were going to go visit's house, Morty Lindquist. The house is it's described as being, it looks like it's a transplant out of California with the stucco and the tile roof, but the psychic medium has tried to give it that gothic flair, so it's got like these fake gargoyle statues up on the roof. It's got all this, it's got like a, a wrought iron gate, but the gate is the only part that's wrought iron. Everything else of about the fence is a, just a normal old chain link. So you kind of, you, you get an idea of what's going on here. Uh, he, he, Harry walks up to the door, he's about to knock, and then the door opens and the guy comes, you know, pulling, pulling some suitcase out backwards, completely doesn't see Harry. And the guy takes off carrying his suitcase out to the curb and Harry just walks in, goes right into uh, like his little office area and he sits at the end of, the, of a table. And then Morty gets back and, uh, you know, kind of, you know, of course, is surprised that Harry's there. Um, Mo Morty, you know, is getting out of Dodge. Um, he is a, um, you know, psychic medium who used to have the power. Uh, you know, he, he used to actually could feel the stuff a lot, you know, like really well, but he's kind of lost it and he's lost his, just his passion for it. I think, and that's turned him into a life of just basically being a con man. Um, you know, just, uh, holding seances and, and bringing closure to, to families, not really doing anything. Um, and, you know, him and Dresden have a little bit of a history. Uh, apparently the White Castle, the White Castle, <laughs> the White Council had uh, talked to him about, you know, hey, you, you can't be doing certain things. That's getting too much into a certain territory, um, which Harry didn't know that. And Harry kind of uses it to his advantage to get a little bit of, get a little bit of uh, information out of him easier. Um, but they, they sort of get to talking about it. Morty's theory is that the barrier between our world and the never never is is getting thinner um dresden refers to it as a wall where morty refers to it as um uh, jello that the the spirits can you know can easily go back and forth through um harry kind of you know doesn't know really what to think about it as much but um basically Morty, you know, he's, 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 he's leaving town. He's getting out of there, but he does offer a little piece of advice before he leaves. He says that something big came across, uh, the barrier last night. He felt it. Um, he said the strongest, he's strongest thing he's felt in a long time. Uh, and then the, you know, the cab gets there. He go he goes, gets into the cab and Harry kind of sees him taking off, but right at the last minute he rolls down the window and he, um, you know, says, Hey, there's this drawer underneath this chair, you know, go in there. Those are my notes on it. I figured if you're going to fight this thing, you need to, you need to have, you know, you need to know what you're getting into. And that's, that's where we, that's where we leave off. So that concludes the events of this first episode, the, the different events that happened throughout the first 10 chapters. Um, as far as like my predictions on like where I think the story is going to go. Um, I don't know. See some, I'm sort of, it just depends on how a story is for me. Um, sometimes I can kind of guess and be like, hey, this this would be cool if it goes this direction. Um, but a lot of times I get so sucked into a story that I don't even take the time to think, okay, where is the story going? I know a lot of people do that, um, or a lot of people do the opposite. They kind of, 
they kind of are trying to figure out where the story's going. I I don't consciously try to do that, but it does happen from time to time, uh, especially with uh, like television uh, procedural dramas. <laughs> I can kind of like kind of know where it's going to go after the first, you know, before the first commercial break kind of. Uh but books, you know, I kind of I kind of just enjoy the ride. I don't really think about it too much, but if I was going to predict kind of where I think this is going to go. So naturally we have Lydia who, who is something, uh, you know, some kind of whatever. And then you got the godmother, the godmother is going to play a part in it. I don't know. Maybe if Lydia is, um, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe you're supposed to start to trust her because of the incident at the church, but really she's, a uh, like a you know maybe a spy or I don't know, and and then the the thing that came across last night that wanted her maybe it turns out not being actually the villain it actually turns out to be a a um, just misunderstood something um, I don't know if that would happen because that kind of happened in the last book with with the the main lycanthrope character so yeah I'm I'm not sure if if they'll do that um, or if Jim Butcher will do that but. I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's probably a little too early to kind of, for me to kind of think about it. I'm just really kind of enjoying the ride of it all. Um, especially with, you know, I know, so in the first book, Murphy was a bigger part in it. And, um, and then Susan was a little bit there. And now Susan got a little bit bigger role in the second book. And in this one, we're kind of just meeting a lot of new characters. It feels like more so than I, we did in the second book. Because we've met Michael, Michael's wife. Uh, of course, Lydia, the um, the godmother, the, the father at the church. So, I don't know. It feels like the world is, is expanding. And that's, that's a good thing. So, I don't know. Maybe by next episode, which next episode will be chapters 11 through 20. Uh, we'll be halfway through. It probably will become more clear what's where this story's going. But um, I hope you enjoyed this first episode. Uh, if you did, you know, be sure to rate it if you if you would like to uh, share it with your friends if you so choose. And um, yeah, just uh, I hope you hope you enjoyed this, and we'll see you on the next episode.